Welcome to It's a Good Life, where it's all about helping entrepreneurs think, feel, and do better. Before we get to the content today, I just want to tell you about It's a Good Life Plus. It's our new ad-free subscription on Apple Podcast. All you've got to do is go into the Apple Podcast app and click on It's a Good Life. You'll see a banner in there under the logo to remove ads and unlock early access to episodes. It's just five bucks a month, and there's even a free trial. A couple of years ago, Brian did a podcast on developing your self-belief. And if you tuned into our last episode, you got to hear that incredible content again. Well, we figured there was more to dig into there. And with that, myself and Danny Iverson here in the studio, we have some questions for you, Brian. Um, We had so many people write in specifically about that episode. It really resonated with them. And like I mentioned, our mission is to help entrepreneurs think, feel, and do better. Before we get to the feel part, though, we need to know where the pain points are and and how we can fix those. So where does a, a lack of belief show up for an entrepreneur in their business and indeed in their life? Yeah, very, very costly on the personal and the professional side, right? I'd say the first thing I would probably didn't communicate it effectively enough with the original recording was how a lack of self-belief equals a lack of conviction. And so when you have conviction, you know, people follow the path of strongest conviction. That's why if someone's got bad motives and strong conviction, you know, you can be in trouble. People can be completely convicted of the wrong thing. So when you actually match up that you've got self-belief, you've got the right type of belief about yourself. If you have the wrong type of belief about yourself, there's no conviction. And the conviction then has to spread to your product and service, you know, for years, right? So I did all these seminars in the real estate space, and now obviously it's expanded beyond. But the number of times that I would meet somebody, and they'd been watching the news and listen to this and listen to these reports, and this is, you know, 10 years ago, and they're, oh, the market's so bad, and so on and so forth. And they didn't believe that real estate would go up in value. No, think about it, like someone 10 years ago who bought a bunch of real estate is sitting fat and happy today. But these people who were selling the product of real estate, they weren't convicted that the future was going to be better. They didn't believe prices were going to be going up. They listened to the latest 22-year-old who's blogging out how the market's going to be a disaster and they've never experienced anything, don't even own a house or a mortgage. But that was, oh, that was, you know, the, the latest clickbait that got taken. The fact is, I would look somebody eyes. well, if you don't believe that someone should buy a bloody house, why would they buy a house? If you don't believe it's the best investment that 97% of people have ever made, then why in the world would they believe it? And so, you know, there's the lack of belief in yourself. Then there's the lack of belief about your products or services that you offer. Then there's the conviction yourself about your offering. You know, I'm a big fan of Estee Lauder. She does, I, I've sold every day of my life and I, I have to believe in what I sell. And when I believe in it, I sell it hard. Well, when you're offering a service, the service you're offering is yourself. So if you don't believe in yourself, you sure as heck don't believe in your offering. And it's not all comparison thinking, but it's like, okay, I mean, I came to this conclusion as a 22-year-old real estate agent, right? So here I am, I'm three years in the country, I came from a rough start, motorcycle accident, hundreds of thousands of bills, I'm in the business, and I would see the realtors who had the big fancy car and the, you know, they were in the neighborhood and I didn't know that it was lease, you know, I thought they were rich. They're selling these million-dollar homes, and I'm obviously, well, I'm not qualified to do that. And as I had different experiences and ran into some of these realtors and realized, hang on a second here, they're fur coat, no knickers. They have all this talk, but they don't really deliver. And I'm selling these little houses, and I'm delivering big time. And I remember one morning, I was shaving myself and looking in the mirror, and I said to myself, if the president of the country, if the CEO of a major corporation, 
If your best friend was buying or selling a home, should they use you? The answer I had, which was the right answer at the time, was, I don't know. I don't know if they should. And then the question was, why not? And I went on a little journey myself to go find that out. When I had the conviction that I basically, I, I basically got to the point where I understood what I brought to the table and I saw what other people were bringing to the table, I'd ask people, what was your experience with a previous realtor like? And they'd tell me how it happened and what went on and why they were working with me. There was a reason they were working with me and not the previous person. And I'd make a note of it. And after a while, I was like, hang on a second here. Maybe I have a bit more to offer than I realized. And when I became the guy that when I shaved myself in the mirror and I go, not only am I the person they should use, they're missing out. That eventually it evolved to I'd walk into somebody's home and some couple needed to sell their house and move out of state and the market was tough and things were tight and it was going to be a real trick to sell this home. And I remember I'd look in their eye and I'd say to myself, it's your lucky day. Oh, that's awesome. It's your lucky day. Now, by the way, you have to say it to yourself, otherwise <laughs> you come off as a jerk. But I, I, I got to the point where I realized it's their lucky day because I was so passionate. I would treat their money better than I treat my own money. I was going to take care of their family like it was my own family. I was going to take care of this house like it was on my own house. I was going to give them the advice that I would only give to like a family member or best friend and that it was their lucky day. And I had the skills and the drive to do it. And I was going to figure it out. So I think lack of self-belief or, uh, you know, when you're lacking there, you lack that conviction. You lack that conviction in your product or service. You lack that conviction in your offering. And I would also say, if, then if you have staff, people follow the path of strongest conviction. If you have a staff and you're, you know, like a kamikaze pilot on his 27th mission, Zig Ziglar used to say, like, if I don't have that, then no one has it. You know, we were just on a, an all-staff meeting with 250 staff. And what did I say to them? On that broadcast, I said, our company runs on belief that we're going to impact and improve the lives of people. And the way that happens is you have to be, as a staff member of Buffini Company, learn the content and use it on yourself. You should be writing goals. You should be doing the personal growth stuff. You should be doing the business development stuff. You should be working on your skills. And as you grow, then you're able to give that gift to other people. Our whole company runs on belief. And you just heard me an hour ago share that with 250 employees. So the bottom line is, there's not a person who works for me, like me, love me, love our company or not. They know where I stand. They know what I believe. They know what I'm certain of. And the vast majority of them have followed me in that. And that's why we have such a passionate group of people. So I think it's not just a small thing. I think it's everything. Oh, there were a lot of heads nodding on that. Sure. But I, I think that self-belief is everything for yourself, for your product and service, for your business, and then for your staff. I feel a checklist coming on there from the mirror <laughs> conversation with yourself. I've never heard that before. Mm. I can totally see you having that conversation with yourself. And uh, glad to hear some of those stay inside your head too. <laughs> <laughs> um, a study, we were looking into some of this stuff ahead of today's call. The American Psychological Association found that 7 out of 10 people feel or have felt like an imposter at some point. It's probably higher than that. I feel like everybody has, right? How does developing yourself belief help combat that imposter syndrome? I think the important thing, you know, such lack of transparency and authenticity in the world today. People aren't willing to share their difficulties. Everything's just posturing. Like everyone has the little voice. Everyone has the little voice. Every single person on the planet comes with a little voice. It's built into the system. The little voice that says, mm, you're not that good. You're a fraud. You're not congruent. You say one thing, you do another. And by the way, 
Two things can be true at the same time. More than one thing. Three things. Five things can be true at the same time. The fact of the matter is everybody falls short. Every, there's no perfect people. One of the feedback we got from this meeting we just held with everybody, they were talking about our mastermind event, right, which is our, our flagship event. We had over 3,000 people coming away saying it was the best event they were ever at. I led off that event by showing a picture of myself 30 pounds heavier than I am today and saying this was from six months ago and I didn't even recognize myself. That's right, Mr. Motivator, Mr. Inspirational, Mr. Coach Guy, Mr. Guy with a lot of answers, you know, with the half a million people tuning in every month on a podcast, looked at a picture of himself six months ago and was shocked and said, man, I got to do something about it. And that, across the board, was the most transformational thing in the whole event. I had four fabulous speakers. We had two days, eight sections of content. Brilliant event. But that's the stuff that struck with people. Because why? Because someone who they admire and who's considered a successful person stood up and goes, hey, here's where my shortcomings are. And then here's when I went and did something about it. So we all have that little voice. And it's okay. It's just not okay that the mouse has a megaphone. You know, it's not that it cannot be the dominant picture. And we're so quick to believe other people and so quick to doubt ourselves. And the fact of the matter is people are projecting and usually projecting images and everything is such image now. You know, one of the things that you watch a movie today and you have some bit player in the movie has to make an appearance or there's so many distractions in the show. You know, I used to, that's one of the reasons why the British still dominate with a lot of their actors and because they get, oh, I have a bit part. I'm going to do my bit part and then go home for lunch. You know, in America, it's like, ah, I have my eight seconds here and I'm going to selfie my way. The bottom line is we all have that little voice. We all have those doubts, beliefs, fears, apprehensions. We've all made mistakes. We all have something to go back to that says I didn't get it done. But at the end of the day, the imposter is the person who's not willing to acknowledge their shortcomings. The imposter is the BS artist that says, I don't make mistakes. I got it all figured out. I got it all figured out. I'm good to go. Whatever. That's the person that has to go home at night and in their heart of hearts is consumed. And in the business I'm in, in the personal growth and development business, the self-help business, there's a bunch of those people have written books and they'll never, ever acknowledge their own shortcomings or what they've come through. And yet that's the only thing people identify with. So we all have the little voice. We just got to make sure the little voice that we heed it without hearing it. We heed it and then go out and see where we need to grow, but we don't give it too much power. What is it that you bring to the table? Are you the person that should help somebody? What are your gifts? What are your strongest suits? What do you do? What have you done? I've done it before. I can do it again. Okay, that's what I know I'm about. I'm going to go do that. That's awesome. I got a question for you, Brian. Um, You just mentioned one of those uh, phrases that you often say, I did it before I could do it again. Another one that you mentioned in the episode is just being myself is good enough to be great. Where did you get that or how did you develop that? Mr. Danny Iverson there. Danny's uh, the curator of all the podcast content and has listened to every message I've ever done. So he keeps me straight here. You know, that was an event I did years ago and it was a phrase and I think you may remember it. And David, you were there as well, where I had, you know, whatever, a thousand people who paid a lot of money to be at an event for three days and high produced and highly successful people. And I came up with this phrase, just being myself is good enough to be great. And you saw it. It's years ago, it transformed a room of high achievers. And part of that maybe is because everybody does have that little voice and that imposter syndrome. So I'll give you my more transparency on that. You know, I'm not just an immigrant. You know, you, you, you are always an immigrant. You came from somewhere else. I'm a proud American citizen for 20 years. Uh, you know, my bride and I are picking out burial plots. I'm going to be buried in America. 
but you always are coming from somewhere else. And, and that somewhere I came from, Dublin in the 1970s and early 80s, was very much a product of the class system. So I was a house painter's son, and we worked in a lot of expensive homes or buildings, and the class system was alive and well. What school you went to, what your father did, all of that type of stuff. And so I constantly felt that I was fighting against this. And it, it shaped me beneficially, but also shaped me in a way that later in life led to stress. Because, you know, like at some point in time, it's like my kids were going, hey, dad, you know, you've made it. You know, you're good, you know. And I'm still railing against the machine. I'm going to show the man, right? You know, because we had a dynamic. Like I worked in a, in a golf club called Milltown Golf Club. And it was a very snooty place. And in David's people are from the west of Ireland. So they would have called these kinds of people West Brits. Like today, this all sounds, oh, horribly unwoke. But there was this British influence in Dublin that was very heavy. They built the buildings and so on and so forth. And it was basically, okay, England left, but the culture of some of this kind of looking down your nose didn't. And a lot of Irish people, by the way, adopted it. And it was kind of like, know your place, stay in your lane, that class system that was very much there. And so for me, I probably never felt I was good enough. Like with the class system, the funny thing about it, the way it works back in Europe, it doesn't matter how much success you have or how much money you make, you're still not one of us. And and it wasn't like I wanted to be one of them. I just didn't want to be judged as not one of them. So I think that drove me unconsciously in, in, in a lot of ways. And it's also why I love America, because America is a meritocracy. They don't give a rip who your father was or your grandfather was. In fact, Americans kind of love the fact that if you had to overcome a story and you came from nothing, or you came from a, you know, the rags to riches stories. I mean, Americans love that more than anybody. So I think like all things that are profound, you must come to the truth of your own self first. So the truth of the matter is, I'm uh, at this stage, I'm a multi-multi-millionaire, recognized as one of the best public speakers in the world. I have this huge following, this great big business, and we're the most influential company in a niche that represents 16% of the largest economy in the world. And yet I'm walking around still trying to prove to some fella in Milltown Golf Club when I was 16 years of age that I belong. Some fella I'll never see again, never talk to again. And so I had to come to the conclusion, again, another kind of a shaving moment where, hang on a second here, I got to just, just be in myself. I enjoy being myself. You know, I do. And I enjoy, people enjoy me being myself. It's one of the things they resonate with, whether it's on this podcast or a seminar or whatever. So I'm, I've become very comfortable in my own skin. But then I had to take the second step. So beyond just being comfortable in your own skin, beyond just using your gifts, that just being yourself is good enough to be great. You know, and like I've been to the seminar, Les Brown, you know, I love Brown. You have greatness within you. And everybody wants to believe that, but nobody does. When you understand that just being yourself is actually the design for you. And from in my faith tradition, God made us all with these individual gifts. And when you lean into those gifts and you're just comfortable in those gifts, comfortable in the skin that it's around, that's what greatness is. That's not greatness compared to anybody else. We had Apollo Ono at our recent event, right? The most decorated Winter Olympian of all time. Great. If me and Apollo get on the ice together, I'm going to look like a platypus and he's going to look like an Olympian, okay? Now, Apollo is coming to our company with his team to come and learn how to build a coaching company because we're great at this. So we're great at coaching and impacting and improving the lives of people and he's great at the skating. 
Just being yourself is good enough to be great. And it's the same for all of us. And when we really embrace that and get into that, it's like, okay, you know, like, what does it mean? What does it mean for Danny Iverson to be great? What does it mean for David Lally to be great? What does it mean for Krista to be great here operating the cameras? What does it mean? And it's, it's really the embrace and the fulfillment of the gifts you have. You can't just, oh, I was born with these gifts, therefore I'm great. Bloody no. Right? You guys know how hard I work in preparation, how hard I work in presentation, and how hard I work when I'm doing this stuff to be the best in the world at it. I don't know if I'm the best in the world, but that's my goal. You prepare. Yeah. And so the key is to bring it together. So just being yourself is the embrace of your gifts, the embrace of your talents, the embrace of who you are, the embrace of yourself. Just being yourself is good enough to be great. And the greatness is not compared to anyone else. It's greatness compared to who you are and who you're meant to be. And so it came out of all of that. I know it's a kind of a long-winded answer, which I sometimes known to do. But it started for me. And again, I think it starts for everybody in our past. Because maybe you were told, no, you're not as good as your brother. Why can't you clean up your room like your sister? Why can't you do finances like your dad? We're told that. Oh, well, then we get to school. And school does a great job of telling us what we're not. And coaches do a great job of telling you what you're not. And so that's the next thing you know, you're told, not only are you not going to be great, but you're not good enough. So finding out what you are good at, leaning into those things, becoming comfortable in your own skin, and then really fulfilling your potential, that's good enough to be great. And then one day they close the lid, they take the dirt nap, and you go, okay, that was a great man. That was a great woman. Lived a great life. That's awesome. What we say to ourselves is often a two-edged sword, right? It can build you up, it can cut you down. Why is self-talk so important for developing our self-belief? So we've done a lot of shows on it, right? And I've talked about Shad Helmstetter, who wrote the famous book, What to Say When You Talk to Yourself. And I'd shot at a number of our events. Uh, Ethan Cross, we had him at our peak experience last year, and he did a, an episode 273 in our first season when it was the Brian Buffini show. And the big thing is... There's all this study now. Positive psychology has been around 50 years. And all the studies that show the thousands of thoughts that we have in a day and that most of them are negatively directed towards ourselves. So we have an, an onslaught. We're going to talk, and I'm sure we'll talk about what's going on in the culture, what's going on in social media, what's going on with the news media. But there's no stronger media than our own mind. And our own mind tells us all day long that we suck. Stupid, lazy, fat. I always said to you, if you had someone who is a friend of yours, say to you the things you say to yourselves, they wouldn't be your friend, right? You know, they'll love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that, where's, how do we learn to love ourselves? So what we say to each other is enormous. I'd say just a couple of thoughts for people. It is impossible for the unconscious mind to differentiate between sarcasm and truth. That the two dynamics to this in regards to what we call affirmations is that you got to affirm what's true and you got to affirm what can be true. So there has to be some qualifiers here. Shaquille O'Neal cannot affirm himself to being a jockey in the Kentucky Derby. He's seven foot one and weighs over 300 pounds. I, I want to be a jockey. I am a jockey. I'm the greatest jockey who ever lived. And there's a vein in personal growth and development today, which is, of course, not rooted in practical, certainly not rooted in coaching, where you have to get people results, where just affirm whatever you want, lock yourself in a closet, attract to your inner light, what you're supposed to be, and then affirm that, and then you will be rich and you'll be healthy. Oh, by the way, it happens in churches. It happens in churches. You know, you just got to believe, and then you'll receive your anointing, and your anointing will come in the form of a Brinks truck. And it's the same level of BS that the new agey crap comes up with. And it is crap. 
Because it doesn't work. And then what it gives people is false hope. So what do we have to do? We have to affirm what's true. And we've got to affirm what can be true. So what's true? What have you done in your life? What are the gifts you've shown? You know, we do the assessments with the profile. Okay, here's the gifts you're born with. What are the feedback? What are, what are your trusted people around you? You're really good at this. What are the patterns you've seen in your life? That's, yeah, this is, I'm really good at this. And then what can be true? What can be true is the goals and the skills that you can develop in a certain area. You know, you can go from being bad with money to good with money. Then you can affirm, I'm always good with money. It's just not like me to have my checks bounce and not be able to balance my checkbook. Like you can affirm that because you can learn a skill. So I think that's a big thing is that we have to be very careful. The inner voice is very powerful. Words are very powerful. Where words are being skewed today to create clickbait. We use words to vilify and monsterize people of different political persuasions, anything we want. We use these words to vilify. Words have power to them. It starts with us. So the words we say to ourselves are very powerful. The Shad Helmstetter stuff that I got years ago, and also Lou Tice from the Pacific Institute, where things like, that's just not like me. When I did something that I struggle with all the time, that's just not like me. You know, somebody's chronically late. It's just not like me to be late. But from now on. So that would be a little how-to. That's just not like me, but from now on. Uh, It's just not like me to be late. But from now on, I'm early and available for every appointment. You affirm, you affirm, you affirm. That's just not like me, but from now on. And you can correct bad behavior and bad thinking into the right self-belief. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, You talked about competition and comparison in the last episode. And I can tell you for a fact that I know firsthand how competitive you are after a few games of ping pong. (laughs) When you're wearing Spalding on the front of your forehead, Danny, that's when you know you've played ping pong with Brian Buffini. That's it. Um, And you talked a lot about competing with yourself and being in competition with yourself and not comparing to external forces or how other people are doing. For me, it's easy to, to look up to try to get a benchmark of, okay, how am I doing? Which quickly shifts into comparison. How would you go about adjusting that? Yeah, that's a very good question. And I think benchmarks are critical and comparison is deadly. And we live in a world of comparison. You're right. I mean, does social media even exist without it? And so many young people now are, whether it's the Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, the fact is it's curated content. And so when we compare our actual life to someone else's curated content, Dermot did an interview years ago, a fellow named Tim Totter, brilliant photographer. He's a guy that's brought in to help people build an image and stage image. And he's a guy, he charges six figures to do photo shoot for a day. Okay. And It wasn't until he had a teenage daughter and he started to see what she was struggling with and the anxieties that were coming along and so on and so forth. I was like, hang on a second here. I need to kind of of almost take a, a value check of his own work. Why? Because they create this image of, you know, this Instagram model who's coming out of a pool, perfectly quaffed and everything. And they don't know that's a full day and an entire staff of people and a team of makeup artists and specific lighting that's created and all that stuff. They might spend 12 hours to get four photographs. And then those four photographs are curated content that's put out on social media. And now you have a 16-year-old girl comparing herself. And she says, I get out of the pool, I look like a mess. And so therefore, there's something wrong with me. The thing is this. When we compare ourselves to other people, we're comparing our gifts that God gave us with others. And we're either going, 
Mine are better than what God gave you or mine are less than what God gave you. And it's actually putting ourselves in a position of the divine. My gifts are better than your gifts or my gifts are worse than your gifts. And that has nothing to do with us. It has to do with the giver, not the gift. Benchmarks are critical. That's why we have goals. And it's okay sometimes to go, oh, this person, like you can compete in the marketplace. This person has market share. This person has had a certain level of success. This person paid off their debts in a year. How do they do that? And we can learn from those things. We don't want to live in this competitionless world. But it's competing with yourself is a much higher purpose. For example, for me to go and say, okay, I, I've, been, I've done 2,500 seminars. I've spoken to millions of people all over the world. Am I going to sit down and compare myself to a speaker and go, I'm better than them? You know, I, I try to find people that are brilliant at what they do and then say, okay, what are the things you do to get to the next level? How can I get to the next level in what I do? How can I be the best in the world at what I do? I can learn from Apollo Ono as a skater. I can learn from Dan Jansen. I can learn from Sydney McLaughlin, a 400-meter hurdler who's 22 years old. I can learn from her without comparison. So I don't think any less of myself because I can't run 400-meter hurdles in 50 seconds, right? Because we all know that's like stupid. And I think for men, you know, there's the, the classic measuring sticks, your net worth and your self-worth and things like that. So I think milestones are great. Benchmarks are great. Comparison is deadly. I think it's the biggest epidemic in our country today. I think we need to develop our own self-belief and help our young people develop their self-belief and get out of the comparison mode. Then enjoy the TikTok video without thinking any more or less of yourself. Love this stuff, Brian. It's great hearing new takes on that podcast. I listened to it again this week in preparation for today's call, obviously. And it's such a huge, I feel like you could do a training program just on this stuff easily and there would be so much uh, hunger for that. You posed a question in the original episode. What do you believe about your future? So entrepreneurs bet on themselves every day. That's kind of what you do when you get into business. They're believing that they can do this. They're believing in their future and developing self-belief. What are some of the dividends they're likely to see? And it's a two-part. Are there any metrics that we could use to measure our self-belief? Very hard. Very hard to do, except you'll see it in your performance. You know, you'll see it in your performance. You'll see it in your performance towards all of your goals. So, you know, we, we talk about being five-circle fit. So, okay, spiritually, in your family and relationships, in your business and career, in your financial world, in your, your physical and mental well-being. Uh, so you have goals, and then like Danny talked about, you have benchmarks. You will see the results show up, and that's why it's not just about working harder and developing your skills. When you become more of who you're designed to be, and you believe more in yourself, you will see the results show up in all five circles. And the same person who goes on an appointment or has an interaction with a customer, it goes better, it has less friction, it has greater advocacy afterwards. You'll see it show up in more referrals. You'll see it show up in more income. You'll see it show up in more positive interactions. I'll say this. I'm always amazed when I go to work on myself how much more positive my family's become. You know, when I go to work on myself, oh, Beverly's really doing well. You know, the kids are really, they're on a roll. Good for them. They must be working on themselves. Apparently not, or not often. You know, it's, it starts with me. And so, you know, Michael Jackson, I'm starting with the man in the mirror. All I will say is, if you think about this in the reverse, what would happen to your life if you significantly reduced the belief you have in yourself, 
in the product and service you offer, in your gifts, in your value, in your business, in your industry, in the future. Let's say it all went down by half. What do you think happens to the results? What do you think happens? And that's why, like, when people are binge-watching the news, I mean, the, the news sells advertising. That's what they do for a living. And I know I'm always banging on them because they're easy to bang on. And they're getting worse. They're getting worse because they have to get more extreme. The fact of the matter is, if you buy into that stuff and you drench yourself in that stuff, those are the affirmations that are going on in your mind. That's the belief that's taking place. All of a sudden, now ah, the country's gone to hell. There is no hope. There's a future. I watched the other night with the kids the movie Miracle. And in it, it's the 1980 hockey team. And it's just a feel-good movie about a true story about the U.S. hockey team, an incredible coach, and Herb Brooks, and how they went and beat the unbeatable team, the Russian hockey team. But one of the things that's fascinating about it is Jimmy Carter does a speech in 1979. It's a very famous speech. And he talks about how 50% of Americans at that time believe the next five years will be worse than the last five years. Now, imagine... In 1980, if you bought every piece of real estate you could, imagine in 1980, for example, if you bought every stock you could, and oh, by the way, we did this at our mastermind event, if you bought $100 worth of stock in 1980, it's currently worth $9,800. So every 100 bucks. President Carter was trying to shake people out of it, but let's just say that people go, yeah, the next five years is going to be worse than the last five years. We've got massive inflation. We've got runaway interest rates. We've got problems with gas and gas lines, and distribution, and it sounds just like, like a year ago. And let's say people believed in it, 1980, and people did believe in that in 1980. You have to believe in the future. You have to believe in yourself. You have to believe in what your products you sell. And here's the thing, I'm sold. I'm sold on the future. Not that it doesn't have challenges, not that it doesn't have problems. I'm sold. I'm still buying real estate. I'm still investing in stock. I'm still investing in myself. I'm still believing in my customers. I still believe in my staff. And I believe we provide a superior product and service to coach and train people that they can change their lives. And when they change their lives, they'll tell their friends and Buffini Company are going to grow from strength to strength in the years to come. That's what I believe. I'm buying. And I'm planning on being around for a while to see it come. But it's, Good. it starts with that self-belief. It shows up in conviction. And then the future is bright. Wow. I think we should just leave it there. Sorry. I mean, there's no more. There's nothing else to say. Fantastic, Brian. Awesome. Glad we dug further into this podcast and uh thanks to you as always for going the extra mile and bringing some belief well we hope you're enjoying it's a good life podcast we certainly are enjoying the work ourselves danny iverson and myself always like to corner brian and get a little bit more content from him be sure and share the show with others and if you want some questions put to brian find him on facebook or instagram send us your questions and we'll pose them to him and in the meantime, until the next time, here's our believer in chief, Therese Buffini. May the road rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields, and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time. 